This is an RNZ podcast. The estate for Dr. Zeus has made a public call. It'll keep publishing his books, but it won't publish them all. Six different titles will no longer be dispersed. Is it a reasonable reaction or cancel culture at its worst? (laughs) That was Jack Tame on his News Talk ZB show last weekend, and he was far from the only one in the media summing up the Dr Seuss so-called censorship saga with a Seuss-style rhyme this past week. And Jack Tame went on to answer his own question about cancel culture like this. Of course, there are now like plenty of people who say that this is an open-shut case of books being banned. It's not. No censor has stepped in and said that children can't read Dr. Zeus titles. There isn't a Zeusian bonfire being lit outside of Wellington's poor public library. No, they're just going to not continue to publish a few of his books. And having made the point that any cancelling going on was only by the estate of Dr. Seuss himself, Jack Tame returned to Seussian rhyme for his wind-up. The problem with the culture wars is everything becomes a fight. If Dr. Seuss were alive today, he'd say this issue isn't black and white. In the author's mighty legacy, this is just a little quirk. Regardless of whether those books caused much offence, they weren't the doc's best work. Well, that saga certainly was subsumed into the raging culture wars in the US, according to Boston Globe culture critic Ty Burr. The announcement was a godsend for Fox News, talking heads like Tucker Carlson and the mad-as-hell conservative Twittersphere. The move represents at least a week's worth of ginned-up fury at a culture that's moving carefully and with forethought to a world more welcoming to people unlike them. But what Ty Burr called careful moves towards a more welcoming world in the US were condemned by critics using one word which we're hearing more and more of in our politics these days, woke. Not everyone here was just brushing off those six Dr Seuss titles being eased out of the catalogue. Last week, News Hub reported that the National Party's Taranaki King Country MP, Barbara Kuriga, had posted a Seuss-style rhyme on Facebook taking aim at would-be censors, and it began like this. Alas, they've come for Dr Seuss. They wish to hang him with a noose. They claim his tales were racist bent. They judged him fast, missed what he meant. Barbara Kuriger later said she'd copied that poem from a friend and then she took it down from her Facebook feed. But noting that the controversy seemed to have sent Dr Seuss titles to the top of the Amazon sales charts, Nationals MP for Tamaki, Simon O'Connor, told his Twitter followers and his Facebook fans that it was a marvellous and welcome up yours to the woke senses. But seeing as the books selling weren't actually the ones that were going out of print, well, the money would actually be rolling into the estate of Dr. Seuss and his publishers, the so-called censors in the first place in this case. But why were National Party MPs getting worked up about an issue like this from overseas anyway? Well, writing for the spin-off this week, former National Party press secretary and current PR consultant Ben Thomas reckoned that a war on cancel culture was not a winning political strategy for the party. He also noted that the leader, Judith Collins, had accused the government lately of cancelling talk radio hosts like Peter Williams and Mike Hosking, when in fact they'd merely cancelled its weekly appointments with them. 
But last week, Stuff reported National Party pollster David Farrer, who's also a prominent political pundit too, had told a meeting of National Party members, including some MPs, that the party could win support by taking a stand on cancel culture issues. Now, Farrer's followers on social media already knew about that discussion because David Farrer put out a plea on Twitter for examples that he could share at that meeting, like J.K. Rowling copping a backlash over transphobia or, in his words, faulty towers being banned. Though many of 227 Twitter replies pointed out that he was faulty about John Cleese's classic comedy being banned. Now, David Farrow didn't tell Stuff what was actually said at that National Party meeting, but Stuff reported Topor MP Louise Upston is saying her constituents had become increasingly worried about cancel culture. And she was worried about that too at last week's annual reviews of the two state-owned broadcasters, RNZ and TVNZ. As we heard on Media Watch last weekend, Louise Upston asked the Chief Executive of Radio New Zealand this question. How will you ensure the views that might not be popular um, or politically correct are still provided to the public who are entitled to a view? Um, And would you sack someone who dared to have a view that wasn't politically correct? Paul Thompson replied that the political views of staff don't come into it and RNZ's people are required to be impartial and independent and ensure coverage is balanced, fair and impartial. To which Louise Upston replied, I think some would challenge that. And one of those might be her colleague, the MP for Tamaki, Simon O'Connor. After the government announced last month that $55 million of public money would be available to the government's broadcasting funding agency New Zealand On Air to pay for more public interest journalism, Simon O'Connor told the chief executive of the Ministry for Culture and Heritage he feared that all this new money would make the media unwilling to bite the government hand that fed them. Laying my cards on the table, I'm uncomfortable that the Crown is funding a fourth estate and the suspicion that more cash for journalism from the government might compromise the news media was also aired by National's Melissa Lee in last week's select committee sessions. The National Party broadcasting spokesperson asked RNZ's boss this. Would RNZ be prepared to challenge, critique and even call for the resignation of the government or ministers at the risk of losing access to the public interest journalism fund? And after that, TVNZ's chief executive Kevin Kenrick faced this question from Melissa Lee. So the question was, if a minister or the prime minister threatened to actually pull your public interest journalism funding, would you run the story, is the question. 100%. And Melissa Lee then repeated those worries on David Farrer's Kiwi blog under the headline, Fourth Estate for a Price? Question mark. And she added this. We also need to have a frank discussion about media independence. When too many people talk about red radio on one side and wanting to see key media and public figures deplatformed in private media on the other, we are at an impasse as New Zealanders decide on what we agree should be allowed on the air and actually whether we want it taxpayer-funded. And Melissa Lee knows all about awkwardness arising from claims of conflicts of interest between politicians and publicly funded media. She formerly ran a production company which made TV shows for TVNZ, which were funded by New Zealand On Air, even after she became an MP in 2008, which attracted the interest of the Campbell Live show at the time. Tonight, the government MP using government money to make TV. Melissa Lee is both a National Party List MP and the National Party's candidate in the upcoming Mount Albert by-election. She also owns the television production company that makes Asia Down Under for TVNZ. Asia Down Under is funded by New Zealand On Air and that's taxpayer money. Do you think it's appropriate that your company receives government funding? Uh, The company has received funding every year 
for uh, 13 years. I don't know why it becomes an issue now. New Zealand On Air has for years now funded journalism on both state-owned and private networks, but that's one of few conflict of interest controversies that's emerged about the public funding of the media. On Kiwi Blog, Melissa Lee said all this was an elephant in the room that the media won't talk about, so this week I talked about it with her. We hope that journalism in New Zealand is in fact independent and that there's transparency. And there have been instances where some of these transparency issues were highlighted um, in the previous term of uh, Parliament where a minister had diaried meeting that wasn't actually disclosed. And, you know, there was some murkiness. And I think it, it brought to light some of the concerns that people actually have in terms of the transparency issue and the independence issue. So you're, you're talking about, sorry to interrupt you, but you're talking about RNZ's former head of news, Carol Hirschfeld, meeting the former Minister of Broadcasting, Claire Curran, in a kind of off-the-diary meeting. Well, it was diaried, but um, uh, it was rather obscure as to how it was diaried and uh, what happened uh, for that meeting and how the minister never disclosed the fact that she met with um, uh, Carol Hirschfeld. But why does that compromise the editorial independence of any media? And and why does that cast a shadow over uh, the minister's plans to release uh, over three years $55 million more to a range of of media companies? When media... is getting funding, you have to actually sort of ask the question, you know, can the media uh, do their duty in exposing the, um, let's say, if there were problems uh, in government or ministers, if there were um, things that should not happen, does in fact happen, can the media honestly actually say, can they bite the hand that feed them? Well, you very specifically asked both Radio New Zealand and Television New Zealand last week in those annual reviews, would they effectively pull their punches on a story that was difficult for the government if they felt their funding was at risk? And they said, of course, they wouldn't. Do you believe that either this has happened or this would happen? Any time there's actually huge amounts of money that is funding is actually going into media, you, you sort of ha- I think you have to be concerned if ultimately it is the hand that feeds them. But where where are you seeing this? Which which organisation can? I think I see it all over the place. I mean, it's not like I only listen to Radio New Zealand or just watch TV and Z. I switch, you know, TV and Z. Um, uh, I I watch TV three. I I, I read um, um, stories from the Herald um, staff, um, you know, news hub, everything. And, and you, it doesn't happen all the time, but you know, you can actually certainly see uh, that the stories were not um, uh, fulsome. You seem reluctant to name an actual example or anything that sticks in your mind. <laughs> so it's hard for the audience to picture what it is that, that concerns you. Um, well, I don't want to name and shame. I mean, I, I am still a politician and they will obviously write stories about me in the future. And I don't think I should name and shame. I think, look, in all, I, I, I am a former journalist. Come on. And I respect the journalists uh, who actually work in this space. And I, it is very difficult. Can they bite the hand that feed them? I mean, you know, it's always the case. Can can journalists, I mean, this is a question I often put to journalists, even at Radio New Zealand. I mean, can you do stories about something that's going wrong uh, with Radio New Zealand? And I have to say I'm very proud of the journalists, particularly to, um, to the ones here, um, you know, uh, the political journalists who actually uh, did stories about Radio New Zealand when Claire Curran and... Um, um, Carol Hirschfeld issue actually hit. And I have to say that they were very responsible. And I have to say I've, I was very proud of them. You say we're at an impasse about this. I mean, I wonder, like, right now, there's a lot of debate, commentary in the media, pointing out that in, in your political party there seems to be an appetite for taking on wokeism, talking about culture wars and so on. Is your effort to sort of 
pick at the, and, and, and highlight potential areas of bias in the media a part of this? Is it a political strategy right now? It's not a political strategy at all. I haven't actually discussed what I actually uh, wrote on the uh, blog with um, my colleagues or anything. I, I just wrote something and I just thought I'll share it with, um, with Kiwi Blog. Are there specific broadcasts is... or programs, you know, that, that have concerned you, that you say you, you think were biased? I, I'm not going to name names or, 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 or programs, but I think, you know, there is actually a, a perspective out there in, in, in New Zealand, I think, that a lot of people will actually think that some programs are actually skewed left or skewed right or they have particular leanings. Uh, there is this uh, public journalism um, funding to the tune of $55 million. Who is, in fact, going to get the funding and who are, in fact, the journalists? Because government money doesn't just stop at real, you know, like people who have journalism degrees or, or entities that I actually see, deem as uh, a media outfit. You know, that there are some uh, who you may actually call blogs who are actually getting funding from government. Are they, in fact, real journalists? I think they're, you know, do we need to sort of institute a real definition of what a journalist is? Well, when there were these concerns raised about whether this new funding would be at arm's length, the minister said, when it was his turn to speak, look, it's, the funding is administered by New Zealand on air. It is at arm's length from politicians and from the government. I mean, you and your Kiwi blog post were talking about politicisation of the New Zealand on air board uh, and, for that matter, other public media agencies. Concerns are being raised. New Zealand on air isn't funding or interested in funding um, uh, all partisan spheres. Who, who are the politicised members of New Zealand on air's board? You know, government boards uh, often are appointed by the government of the day and often um, they're not necessarily, um, you know, subject experts in the field. They're often government appointees. Is it right that we should actually look at the way the boards are actually appointed? In terms of the bias, I mean, you know, I'm not criticising New Zealand on air. I think New Zealand on air in general actually does an amazing job with the with the kind of um, numbers of staff that they actually have, and and the work that they do is actually you know uh, really really good. I uh, what I was actually talking about, and the um, the engagement that I've actually had with the CEO was in particular. I was rather concerned about um, a documentary about a, a particular politician that actually ran uh, during um, the election cycle. I think that is actually wrong. I mean, which was that documentary? It was actually about Chloe Schwalbrook. It, it was around or around the election cycle, yes. Because another well-known instance of this, and there aren't that many, was back in 2011 when uh, one member of the New Zealand On Air board was Stephen McElroy, who was uh, the, I think, electorate chairman of John Key, who was prime minister at the time, and there were questions about a child poverty documentary that was screening just before the election on, on TV3. But you yourself have actually found yourself in this position, hadn't you? You became an MP while still making programmes for uh, Television New Zealand that were funded by New Zealand On Air. You know, at the time you said, I've been doing this for 13 years, I can't see what the problem is. So have you changed your attitude to that now? No, no. And when I actually became a member of parliament, I stepped away from actually running the programme well, yeah, but Campbell Live at the time did a program about how you were actually making election campaign programs for 
the National Party at the time of being in the receipt of it, the, the, the Trevor Mallard at the time, who was a former Minister of Broadcasting, was saying this is no, a big violation of ethics, ma- and it became a big issue, and you, you found yourself in exactly the position that you seem to be saying is, is a worry and that we need to be alert about right now. No, I think, and I've actually, I actually mentioned some of that in the, in the blog as well. You know, I've actually sort of, I think, put it in brackets when I actually wrote it on the blog. You can't stop people from being appointed to the board. And the question that I was actually raising was, should that, um, uh, the way that it is actually being done, uh, be looked at? So I'm starting a conversation. That's what the blog was all, um, blog was all about on the Kiwi blog. I mean, you do say in the article here, concerns are being raised that New Zealand only isn't funding or interested in public interest media from all partisan spheres. As it, it feels more systematic as to whether those who New Zealand on air work with are willing to raise those public voices. What does, does, does that, is that an, an, an allegation of bias, effectively, that New Zealand on air is really interested in funding stuff that has a certain political leaning um, and that, that that's what you're not happy about? Uh, I think I was referring to uh, some of the documentaries uh, that I've actually mentioned. I mean, you know, whether it's actually Chloe Schwalbrick or celebration of um, you know, the prime minister, uh, why not actually? I mean, I, I think I have a problem with um, people doing, you know, documentaries close to election time of, you know, current politicians. I think, you know, if documentaries are actually done, it should be done about people who have actually uh, who are no longer members of parliament, um, you know, uh, be reflective uh, or potential politicians, but not current politicians. You have raised several questions about this in those annual reviews of RNZ and TVNZ last week. Uh, but the committee, it's been noted, um, asked very little about the issues that absolutely dominated the same committee uh, last year, which you were also a part of, which was uh, at the time the RNZ concert and youth service controversy. That was that was a live one at the time and completely unresolved. Then the wider issue of, uh, for both TVNZ and RNZ, the new public media entity to replace them both. Kind of remarkable that there wasn't a lot asked at the committee about either of those issues. Do you think there's no concern amongst um, the MPs on the committee? Uh, well, in terms of RNZ concert, I did actually ha- I did actually have a heck of a lot more question to actually ask uh, both the minister and Radio New Zealand. Some of that question have actually now been filed as written questions because there's a finite amount of time that you are allocated to ask questions. And in terms of the disestablishment of RNZ and um, and TVNZ for uh, the establishment of a new entity, I did actually uh, ask that question unfair for you to actually sort of say that. And um, yes, you were asking those questions, absolutely, but members of other parties weren't. And most members of the committee just didn't seem interested or or even aware of it, I would have to say. For example, uh, in the committees last year, that issue of whether RNZ would get a frequency or not for this youth service and whether the Ministry for Culture and Heritage had been even exploring whether it should or could be released to RNZ here we are 12 months later, it's still, it didn't even come up in the committee. That's disappointing, isn't it? Mm, I guess in terms, in terms of that, uh, partly my fault, I, I did actually have uh, a lot of questions to go through and uh, that was um, not one of the first questions that I asked and I should have. Uh, but thank you for making me the expert in this field because you just said I'm the only one who's actually aware of it and be an expert in this. So, uh, so I guess I have heavy shoulders. I have more questions to ask of these entities. But with that in mind, I would also ask why then, why spend so much time asking hypothetical questions about how broadcasters would react if they were confronted with a story that might damage the government rather than, um, you know, the, the, the big issues like RNZ's uh, lack of progress in its um, music and youth platforms and um, 
the new public media entity. Well, I guess I wanted to actually uh, take it, um, you know, get a statement from all entities that I was actually asking questions of to make sure that the $55 million that they are actually going to be receiving is in fact not going to influence them um, in a way that, um, you know, all of New Zealand may actually, you know, despair. Uh, in terms of Concert FM, uh, I had the question and I have actually, uh, I was requested to actually file questions that I did not get to ask at Select Committee, so I have filed them, so I look forward to the answers. You said that the, the plan for a new public media entity such as uh, has been advanced so far by the current government will end in tears. Uh, if you were in government, you were minister, you wouldn't propose a single uh, public media company? I think, I think pu- public media, I mean, we've already got Radio New Zealand We've already got Television New Zealand, even with the criticism that I have of both entities, and I do sometimes criticise both entities, I think they do a great job. You know, the details are not available for me to even um, criticise or support at the moment. I think there's a cabinet paper that is actually going to cabinet in October. This has been going on for four years you know, I guess I'm a little tired um, of waiting to see what's going to happen. And I think, you know, I think all media, I think Radio New Zealand should be tired of waiting to see what their future is and TVNZ should be sort of tired as to what their future is going to be. Uh, there's no detail. So National that, doesn't have a policy on that right now? At the moment, no. One of the things that we've always actually said was that we support the plurality a voice in the media that, you know, uh, what does one big giant public entity actually mean to the rest of the media? I mean, that's a question we need to actually ask. So you have raised these concerns about, you know, biting the hand that feeds and um, and whether there's potential for, for bias in the media, especially with more money coming in that's public money, uh, which will be available. What do you want media organisations to do now t- to show to you that this isn't going to be a problem and this isn't something we need to worry about? Well, I, I guess there is nothing you can actually do right now. Um, but the thing is that I, I think it, reputation for media are built on, you know, long term. It doesn't just happen overnight uh, with one story. But I think more and more when Radio New Zealand looks at, you know, the survey where it actually, you know, said the public don't trust them as much as they should, uh, when they only achieve 59% when their own target was 70%, I think Radio New Zealand also needs to have a conversation uh, with with um, their uh, operations uh, and staff and board um, and actually see where they can actually improve their performance as well. I think that was what I was actually getting at when I was talking to Radio New Zealand. Uh, in terms of um, how would I actually uh, sort of um, see the media? Yeah, so what, what, uh, in what would put your mind at rest? What would set yeah. my mind at rest? When I actually see more balanced stories, when I actually see... Um, the panels that are actually not skewed a particular political way, um, I guess, you know, and when stories that um, are being done aren't skewed a particular political way, I think, you know, that's when I would actually start believing that there is balance. Now, you mentioned there that you are planning uh, a kind of review of the media scene yourself. You've been uh, engaged in meetings on that already with key people, for example, uh, the leader at New Ze- leadership at New Zealand on air. Um, so, w- what actually is this project you're engaged in? Is it to is this the first step in creating a brand new uh, national party media policy? Uh, I I guess we've been we've been um, you know we actually went to the election with um, um, 
some policies. And I guess this is me doing my duty to see where the media is at in their thinking. You know, media has changed. Uh, broadcasting has changed. Um, journalism has actually changed over the years. Um, and I just want to get a clear, pic- clearer picture as to what the um, journalists themselves, uh, media entities themselves, funding agencies themselves actually think where media policy should be. So I'm actually reaching out to them to have an open uh, conversation with them uh, to actually um, um, see where we are at, where we need to go. And yeah, that will actually build into a policy. That was Melissa Lee, the National Party spokesperson for broadcasting and digital media.